All right. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're talking about learning technology with a slightly different bend, actually. Uh, today, we're actually focused on building a learning culture, what it means, what it takes, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm actually very pleased. This is the first time we're doing this as a LinkedIn event, and it didn't break. So I'm, I'm thrilled with that. The experimental pilot is working out. Uh, and so to help me tackle this massive topic, I'm joined by my friends Simon Brown and Nina Brown. Wrestler Murphy. They are from Novartis. You probably recognize their faces. Uh, if you're joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag in somebody who'd benefit from the conversation while we're getting started. And while you're at it, uh, comment in and tell us where you're joining from. Let us know where, where you're joining from. I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where it is a lovely sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. I'm about to, when this is all done, send all the kids outside to run around. But how about how about the two of you? I know because you mentioned it before, but I won't spoil <laughs> it. So, Sign, you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So, from Basel, Switzerland, uh, we have also got the sun has arrived today. My daughter has been blowing up the paddling pool this afternoon, ready for a four-day weekend that we have starting uh, tomorrow. Okay. You're, wait, is it a holiday weekend there too? Yep. Yep. So we got Thursday, Friday off uh, here. So. Okay. All right. Well, for different reasons, we're celebrating Memorial Day this weekend stateside, but okay. Nice. Holiday weekend. How about you, Nina? Me neither. Uh, if it wouldn't, wouldn't, if it wasn't a hitch, then uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, a proper live talk. <laughs> if it wasn't a hitch. All right. Well, so it's live. So Nina, hopefully you can, you can still hear us. And if not, we'll chime you back in. Um, but as we're waiting to see if Nina can join us here, let's, let's jump to our question of the, of the week. Uh, and hopefully we can get Nina figuring this out one as we do this. But Simon, for you, why don't you tell us what was your favorite childhood video game? So it depends, I think, when in the childhood, but I'm going to go really old school, which was uh, we had a Commodore 64, uh, which is probably aging me a bit. Uh, and we had a game there called Chucky Egg. And it was Chucky. A Chucky Egg. It was a platform game with platforms and chickens. Uh, and that was, uh, that was, there was many, uh, Many an hour spent as a, a young child on that before uh, then progressing to the Amiga, and there are a lot more games uh, on that one. Okay. But uh, uh, earliest one I remember that spent a lot of time on was was Chucky Egg. Chucky <laughs> Egg. All right, that's awesome. All right, so mine, I, I didn't go that far back. Well, I, I went fairly far back, but uh, on mine, I was thinking of one that actually brought back a ton of happy memories for me, and it was uh, Mario Kart. I yep. loved Mario Kart and my brother and I used to play Mario Kart and maybe Diddy Kong Racing would be right up there with Mario Kart. So spent more hours than I would than I would like to admit on on that game. But hey, it dates me a little bit, I guess. But I guess <laughs> so does the Commodore 64. But I had one yeah. of those too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So all good. All good on that one. So let's let's get into it. And I'm sure Nina will will jump back in with us here. We'll bring her into the feed along the way. But we're talking about building a learning culture. And for those of you who may have seen the, the post leading up to this, one of the challenges that we wanted to overcome with this was just help give some clarity around what that really means and, and put some definition behind it. Because it is a term that, Simon, I think you would agree is, is said a lot. We, we hear it yeah. a lot in terms of we need to build a learning culture, or we're trying to build a learning culture. I'm curious from you when people ask you what what does building a learning culture mean for you? So 
I think we're on the journey of building a culture, a, a learning culture. I wouldn't say that we uh, we were already there. And you actually, haven't solved for it already. We we haven't solved it yet. I'm afraid. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, sorry, everybody. Here we thought Simon was going to come and give us all yeah. the answers. There's no silver bullet. On. I'm afraid. No. no. <laughs> um, but no, we talk about a culture of inspired, curious, and unbossed. Um, and it's the curious part of that that really, when we talk about a, a learning culture, it's really that that culture of curiosity, um, creating space for people to be able to spend time learning, to learn from each other, um, to be able to ask questions, to be able to experiment, to be able to fail, um, learn from that. Um, all of those elements for me make, make up a learning culture. Okay. So Nina, welcome back. We, we missed Thanks. you there. You can hear us now, so that's good. I can um, hear you, yes. We were just talking about, we were just talking about building the learning culture and actually defining what what that means but we can actually jump back because you did miss you did miss the where you're from and video game and i'm actually dying to hear the video game because you didn't share (laughs) so super super quick where are you and what was your childhood video game thanks so i am based in prague czech republic so i'm just a little bit further east than switzerland and here it's a beautiful sunny day as well and my favorite video game was actually Tetris. Tetris. So it might be a boring one, but I, I, um, I played so. it obsessively. And I think I'm an amazing packer of shelves and moving trucks because of it. <laughs> a life skill, right? Right yes. there. Maybe we should incorporate that into our learning strategy. Tetris for all of uh, all of us in supply chain. Okay. <laughs> Tetris. All right. A good game of Tetris. Got it. Uh, so, so I'll ask the question to you because I just asked to Simon when when we're talking about building a learning culture, which can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. How do you articulate that in terms of what you're what you're doing, either at Novartis or just in general? Yeah, for me, it's really about creating a mindset in people where they're comfortable failing, experimenting, questioning, and have that psychological safety that takes them into every interaction with their team and um, also in the work that they do, that they're able to test things out and learn and grow from it and don't um, let their fears restrict them in any way. Yeah. I, it, that's it's the things that you've hit on are things I think are really important when we think about this stuff because it can be a very murky murky area to tackle and I love what and I'm looking forward to digging into how you're doing it that that at Novartis because it's one thing to say we want to get to those behaviors I think is the part you've really identified there which is building a learning culture is more about the behaviors you're seeing in the organization and less about the the platitude of doing that because the thing about it that I've said over the years is you have a learning culture (laughs) regardless like people are learning every day they're doing that whether you realize it or not it's more about how are you shaping and honing that in a way that's really designed to drive your organization forward so when you were doing this learning culture work and this this all happened right you figured this all out over the course of a month Six weeks worth of time. Was that it? Right when you four days, four days. Uh, and, and, okay. a, and a week to implement. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. You did a workshop, you did a strategy yeah. session, and then you came out on the other side with a learning culture. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but with that, when you were getting started on this behavioral piece, how you know you have these unbossed curiosity, these components. What was that process like for for either of you on on actually defining that for Novartis? So, I mean, the culture journey, we're probably two years into um, 
and as I say, the, the, there's a long way still for us to be going. Um, the, the the inspired, curious, unbossed culture was defined about two years ago when we had a, a new chief exec, um, Fasnara Simon. He came in um, and put a set of strategic or we put a set of strategic priorities in place, and the number one priority was around unleashing the power of our people, and that was all about the culture. And so, since then, there have been a huge number of different. Um, I guess, interventions, if you like, things that are happening um, in order to support that culture, whether it's key symbols, whether it's um, you know, how, how we do things, whether it's uh, leadership development, etc. Many, many different aspects that support that cultural aspiration um, of which learning is then, you know, there's, there's a key part that we play in there, but alongside you know, many other parts of the organization as well. Okay. When, when we first started to bring the culture to life, we had an event called Generate Action, and it was an ideation event. And we asked people all around the world, this was in 2018, what needs to happen in Novartis for you to see our culture come to life in the next few years in the organization? And there were so many ideas. I think we had ended up with um, something over 10,000 ideas. across. It was run in many different languages. Things were upvoted and downvoted. And then we finally landed on four final ideas, which were pitched. And of those last four ideas, two were actually around learning. Okay. One was around time to learn. And um, then the winning idea was um, the Forever Young team, which said that in order for us to remain forever young as an individual and also to bring that childlike mindset into everything we do, we need to have the best learning and development opportunities available to us. And that was really the spark for the next piece of work that we did. Okay. Okay, so you kicked it off. It really was a crowdsourcing effort mm -hmm. in, in many regards to hear from the organization what that was. Now, was at the time because I was at I was at AbbVie at the time we were spinning off Abbott and did a ton of the culture work there. And and with that, right, that was essentially the catalyst for why we we said, hey, we really need to focus on this culture. What was the catalyst at Novartis? Was there was there a, a big shift? Was there a pain point? What kind of brought that to the surface? So the culture piece was one, but if if I look at um, we go back now to um, February two thousand and nineteen, um, we put the case forward to the executive committee for what we call going big on learning, okay. and that was um, investment over a five year period with an ambition to offer our associates the best opportunities to learn and develop of any company. And there, the case that we made was twofold. So one, it was around if we want to have uh, the best talent, if we want to attract and retain the best talent then learning is critical because all of the internal data, things like the, the crowdsourcing event that Nina talks about showed that learning is important for our associates. All of the external data backs that up, that the reason people join companies, reason people stay with companies, if they're not learning and developing, um, they won't join, won't stay. So attraction retention of the best talent was, was the first reason. And then the second was as we look at the company strategy, we have a whole set of capabilities that we need to be developing, whether that's data and digital, operational excellence, uh, agile, et cetera, et cetera. And for that, we need people to have the right skills. So we need to get great at learning in order to be consistently building and developing those skills. So best people and to deliver on the company strategy, that was the rationale for why we um, suggested we need to go big on learning and why ultimately the exec committee supported that. Okay. And and one of the things you brought up there that, at least in the times I've gone through this, that I think is such an important piece. There's Yes, there's the, the people side of it. There is the people side, and that is such a critical component. Um, but actually, Amanda asked this, and I've got, a, I've got an opinion on this as well. But in terms of 
right? The performance side, you talked about twofold. There was the people side. You care about, you're, you're focused on the people. You're doing this to re attract, retain talent. But there's also that whole business side, right? What is the business strategy? What are the main focuses that the business is trying to achieve? And how do you marry those two together? So on, on your end, I'm curious, you know, when you look at a learning culture, do you see those performance objectives really being critical to the success you've had so far? One of the other um, ideas that came to life in Generate Action was reimagine performance management. And so we're on that journey now. And I don't see it as anything more than a complement to our learning culture. So looking at performance means in a new light and reimagining the way that it works means continuously having development conversations to make sure that you have the skills and competencies in place to deliver performance. So um, I would say that the mindset can't be just about achieving a metric that sometimes can really skew the results and the way that people frame achievement, but we need to look at performance overall and then see learning as a enabling component to performance. And I think um, in 2019, we saw um, the beginnings of that. What do you think, Simon? So I think it's a really interesting question. Thank you, Amanda, for, for asking. So um, we had some discussion probably a year to 18 months ago where one of the other things that came out of that exec committee meeting was a, um, we asked for support for 100 hours of learning a year, uh, so 5% of associates' time to be spent on learning. And off the back of that, we're having conversations, say, okay, how, how do we put that into practice? Um, and one of the discussions was, well, do we just put it as an object as an objective in everyone's objectives for the year that you have to do 100 hours of learning? Hours. Yeah. And we all know that actually sends completely the wrong message because you then end up you know, three quarters of the way through the year. You're, you're halfway through your learning hours. You're like, if I don't do another 50 hours of learning, I'm going to get penalized. And that was absolutely not how we wanted people to, to see it. We wanted to position it as you know, it's an aspiration. And the reason it's an aspiration is not because 100 hours is scientific that that's the the right amount of time yeah. is because if we look at the feedback we get from associates through our quarterly pulse surveys the two biggest things that come out around learning is i don't have the time to learn and my manager doesn't support me in learning we thought, how can we address those two things and we thought if we can give a very clear message that the company wants you to invest in yourself and spend time learning and we do that through a notional 100 hours of, of learning but that creates the space that allows gives people permission, encouragement in order to be able to spend that time learning. And then if any managers are saying, well, I don't want you spending time learning, it's going against the overall company message. So the goal is that people develop themselves, feel comfortable to invest their time to build new skills and hopefully align those skills to what the company also needs, but also what they, they personally need. And I thought that aspiration of 100 hours not a hard performance target, but a, a, an aspiration of an encouragement yeah. was a much better way to uh, to handle it. And I think it's an, it's an important point to bring up with this. Two things that you hit on that I think if people are watching and listening to that, that's an important point because this is where I've seen things go south sometimes, right? The 100 hours of learning sounds like a great thing to do, but where we then go south with it is it almost becomes a compliance exercise. And it's like, well this is what we're going to do. So we're going to set it as a hard metric and we're going to track against our people actually hitting a hundred hours. And now this genuinely positive effort to say, no, what we're doing is we want to support your development turns into a check the box exercise. Exactly. Like, Oh my gosh, can I, what can I count towards my hundred hours so that I can just make sure I don't get dinged on a performance review. But you also talked about the fact 
that this is where tying it into performance management allows people to use this as part of the corporate strategy to say, no, when I run into that resistance, when I'm told, no, we don't have time for that, you can align it to say, well, no, organizationally, this is the priority. This is a priority for us. Yeah, it's a priority that we want to create the space, but in no way will people be penalized if they're not spending the time, but we want to right. create a really positive encouragement that people feel they can invest the time. Yeah. Go ahead, Nina. And having our leaders really kind of talk about how learning and growth is the driver of innovation. I mean, curiosity is the driver of innovation and innovation drives our performance in our business. Having leaders continuously deliver that message, so not having that just come from the learning organization is what really helps us land it in the organization. And one of the ways that they do that is to really share their own individual development journeys and to share all the ways that they're learning that isn't just going into an LMS and doing a um, e-learning module or attending a course, but their growth happens in action a lot of times and through experience and sharing that openly with their teams and being vulnerable to show where they um, may have had a failure or something that really brought them to a new level in their growth. Okay. And that leads to a question that actually Brooke brought up. It's it's a little bit of a, a redirect in a way, but I think it kind of hits on something. Now, now Brooke asked about the measure of the return on the investment. I think we'll answer that in a, a bit of a roundabout way, but I have to ask you know, to both of you, when you first were going into this, because I've run headlong into this in the past, where going to senior leadership and saying, hey, guess what? Over the next year, we want everybody in the company to spend 100 hours on their personal development. That's not always met with a totally get it. I agree. That's what we should have people doing. Sign me up. Let's do it. There's probably people watching who are like, that's not just going to be met with, you know, open arms. Was it met with open arms? And if not, you know, how did you work through that? And how did you answer to Brooke's question? How did you say, Hey, this is what we think we're going to get out of this hundred hour commitment. So I think this is where data is so powerful, I guess. So we we used a, a variety of data points to make the case for it, whether that was data from um, internal surveys, internal um, focus groups, et cetera, that says why learning is so important, whether that's external data points. So if you take things like um, Gartner data around new to world skills, so a third of people have learned a new to world skill in, in the last three years. So that was a skill that didn't exist three years before that. Um, 30% of people have, um, sorry, 20% of the skills that we have at the moment will be irrelevant within three years. So you got new skills coming and you've got the skills that you've got are becoming irrelevant. So if we're not all continuously learning, we're bringing out of date ideas, we're not using the latest tools, et cetera. Very quickly, you realize how trying to stay competitive if you haven't got the latest tools, latest techniques, latest skill sets, and you're bringing ideas that may have worked five years ago, but uh, that's not how we do it today pace of change is constantly getting faster that created the case so we we use data to paint the picture as to why this was necessary with a mixture of internal and external and then to the sort of return on investment piece so we're then looking at it now so we can see last year we did over 50 percent more learning hours than we did the year before we've had three years of declining learning hours last year it went up by 50 percent we can then look at where that time is being spent uh, and we can see that the top areas that people are spending time learning is around data and digital and leadership of the top priorities for the company the culture and the leadership to drive that culture number one priority data and digital one of our top five strategic priorities and we know that they're using you know top world-class content so we can start to see okay 
spending more time on things that are strategically important for the company, that really matters. And then we can delve into the detail and we can show on certain skills like data management. Actually, from a year ago, we were behind the industry benchmark. End of last year, we were above the industry benchmark on these skill indexes. So we can start to get deeper in. Can I put a monetary number on it? Not yet. But over time, maybe we can get to that. But I can show you know, across many different data points, at least positive positive trajectory, um, but certainly not declaring success. Yeah. Okay. So on that one, as, as just a follow-up to that, because I think this is sometimes where we get into the return on investment question, we can, I think in our industry, we can get ourselves into trouble where we're jumping to that, as you said, the dollar and cents ROI, and, and we're not there yet. We have to build that. Now, that doesn't mean we stop it. Well, everybody liked it, but we have to go beyond that without necessarily saying we're going to commit to $1 million of investment comes back to X million dollars in revenue, things like that. So it sounds like that's been a bit of an iterative journey, but you were able to kind of work on some lead measures of, hey, these are the measures that we have for success that we believe will do that and got alignment on that. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of it is also about creating the learning culture within the team level. So enabling teams to deliver on their um, performance goals. And what we've done is we've really tried to integrate learning into the flow of teams work. So um, in one division, in our business services division, for example, we're now looking at piloting um, a whole approach for how teams make time to learn as a group and um, to practice learning together. And what we've seen from that is much more social cohesion and psychological safety. Okay, so got it, got it. Now, in a company the size of LinkedIn, I'm not sure who this is. They have their settings to private, so I, you know, we'll we'll, we'll just answer it anyway. But Novartis is not a small organization, right? It's it's not this one universal organization. And just from the conversations we've had over time, I know there's not just one group of of learning professionals that you have to align behind that. So as you were looking across the enterprise of these different training learning functions. How did you work to bring that alignment to say, hey, instead of us all running our own directions and trying to do our own things, let's let's unite and and move towards this one enterprise goal? Yeah, so I start and then Nina chip in. So I realized we didn't really introduce the company either. So I mean, we're we're a hundred thousand people with a further sort of fifty thousand externals that, that work very closely with us in a hundred plus countries around the world, and very different divisions. So we have a, a manufacturing division that makes medicines. We have a um, sales organization all around the world that's out on the road most of the time. We have a um, research division, a development division, um, which spends a lot of time in the labs. Or managing the clinical trials and then we have all the shared services etc so very different profiles of people and therefore very different skills that are required so in coming up with a single learning model for the company we looked at what are the pieces that are consistent across uh, and what are the pieces then that are uh, unique to any one area so uh, and then if it's consistent across we try and create it centrally if it's unique to one, any one area then it's the divisional or functional teams that focus around that. So sales skills are focused on in our um, divisions where the sales force sits, the manufacturing in the manufacturing. But if it's something like personal effectiveness, project management, communication, et cetera, then that's where we cover that centrally. And that's a nice segue into Nina's role, which is enterprise capability, and she can talk more on that. Exactly. So that's where I sit is really this hub amongst the spokes. And then I also have a counterpart who's responsible for leadership development and okay. another one for digital capabilities. 
And um, actually, you know, in Novartis, we're an organization that has such a wealth of um, amazing, talented people that a lot of ideas come to life in the divisions. And our central role is partially about creating new solutions, but it's also about orchestrating the sharing of those solutions. So um, we start to create this atmosphere of one Novartis where everyone is focused around 15 core competencies that we believe are transferable to anywhere in the organization. That's where our central group focuses its efforts. And then there's a catalog of 600 functional skills that Simon spoke to, which is where the divisions and functions focus their investment and time. Okay. So that, and one of the things you both hit on that I've, I've seen as, as a bit of a delicate balancing act to some regards is this, right? What are the enterprise or, or central capabilities versus what are the functional business capabilities? And I feel like you can swing too far on either side. And if you do, it doesn't go well, right? If you go swing too much on the enterprise capability, you're not meeting the business where it actually needs the needs because you just can't move with the speed and agility you need to, to actually do it. And then right down like the yeah. Hindenburg or on the other side, you try and say, well, let's put all this enterprise capability into the business. Let's empower the business to do all their own things. And then you end up with duplication. You're spending 10 X on everything you're doing because it's all over the silo. So there is this kind of nuance, but sometimes getting to that nuance is not, always an easy journey, right? Sometimes not yeah. everybody just willingly comes and says, Hey, Simon, you know what, you know, or Nina, you're your enterprise, let me let me just give you all these things that that you've done. So how did you work with the teams mm -hmm. to do that? So it didn't necessarily feel like a draconian command and control, while at the same time, not playing too nice, where you just end up letting everybody do what they yeah. want, and hope they come around. Um so there's an art to it for sure. Yeah. But I think um, I have to say our Novartis Learning Council is great to cooperate with. And this is all the um, divisional heads of learning plus our central team. And we really take an approach of co-creation. But one thing that's really worked for us to surface all the great things happening was um, this campaign we did last year around curiosity. So over the course of that campaign, we ran 132 webinars and actually, in a way, it became almost like a um, ability to surface all the great talents and ideas and thought leadership that was happening in across all of our divisions in a way that exposed it to the whole company. Okay. And of course, there's a big piece of work that we're still involved in around understanding what that joint portfolio is and eventually shifting the way that that joint portfolio of everything gets delivered to the organization by um, starting to profile people in new ways and look at what is touching them. So if you look at it from the end user experience lens, then you can see how different capabilities reach them through various targeted campaigns. And um, we're at the beginning of that thinking okay. and there's a long way to go, but okay. it's putting that marketing lens on how we yeah. deliver learning. Right. And what well, I have to imagine also then that's where some of the data capability coming in to be able exactly. to share, hey, this isn't just gut feel. Nina feels this way. This function feels this way. You've got some data capabilities with the tech to be able to see and put some justification behind it. 
Yeah. And this is a long journey as well. So um, we, we've made great progress recently. But four days. Learning, four days, exactly. <laughs> and a week to implement. Don't forget that. But I mean, the journey, I mean, if we go back seven years, when I joined the company, we did a global learning review then. And that was when the Learning Council that Nina uh, talked about was created. So we've had seven years of you know, the division slowly sort of coming together into that Learning Council. We, at that point, identified you know, significant duplication of content across the organization and created a personal effectiveness portfolio that's still there today and that's you know the common things that go across you know a sort of Novartis consistent set of, of programs and that sits in, in Nina's world now so so it started from then and then more recently we've looked at the overall operating model and created a, a single learning model now but we still have the divisional heads of learning sat within the divisions uh, with the money and the headcount consisting in the divisions and generally they're they're reporting in now to the strategy leads in the division as well uh, and that's exactly to your point of staying close to the business and and being able to understand what's happening in the business around those functional technical skills and then the things that go across they can come from Arnavartis Learning Institute that we have centrally that provide all of the the common elements but it means yeah. that, that that crucial piece of supporting the business strategy in each of the divisions that the learning teams are well embedded there okay and one of the things you mentioned, Nina, on the so to your point, Simon, this from a we joke about the four days, but this this even was in process before you even got there. It was it sounds like with some of the work you were doing, Nina? And I think one of the practical steps I've seen this and, and led this in organizations, and it does work for organizations who may be starting this journey. The concept of a learning council to bring leaders together, it's amazing in big global organizations sometimes how often those learning leaders don't connect. And it sounds like for you, that was an effective step in the right direction to bring these people together as a collective, yeah. yes? I think there's also a big piece here around technology. So um, in 2016, we still had 21 learning management systems. Okay. And um, over the last few years, we consolidated those into Cornerstone On Demand, migrated them, and having all of these different stakeholders focus on um, bringing one technology to life okay. and driving adoption of that really helped to build that cohesion. Okay. So there was there was one you bringing together, but uniting around kind of a, a mm -hmm. universal purpose, which one of the questions came in, <laughs> and this is, so you did it. You have, you only have one thing now, right? In all of Novartis, you have one panacea, and this is the question everybody's dying to know then is, what was that one solution that solves all your problems? <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, it's one of those, there's a lot of complexity in the answer. Yes, yes, there is one core learning system and and it took us five years and a project team of probably a hundred people all around the world to migrate the 14 learning systems and seven talent systems all over onto that one platform. And that, without that work, um, a lot of the things we're doing today would not be possible. So that was definitely one of the key building blocks to get there. Uh, but then we're looking also forward. So you know, what's the, the future ecosystem? And, and one of the team is looking in a lot of detail what that vision around the, the future ecosystem looks like. Um, a learning management system is absolutely part of that. But then there are many, many other technology components that, that make up that uh, that ecosystem. And when you start to to put it on, on a, down on paper and see all of those different pieces, both what exists today, but also then where the gaps are in there, um, it's quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. 
It is. And I think this is where, depending on the organization, you may be in one of two places, right? It sounds like you're in, and I've been on both sides. It sounds like you have two where sometimes you've got a ton of stuff you need to consolidate first to be able to work smarter. Other times you may be in an organization where you don't have anything, but either way, kind of figuring out. And I think the point that I would add on the tech side is it's less about figuring out what platform and more what capabilities do we need? What are the capabilities we need? Do that when you're mapping your ecosystem, not let me create a list of all the vendors that I think are going to be cool in here. And then we can say, all right, what do we need to build out those capabilities, whether it's compress or expand? Okay. So and the team's sorry, done a great job yeah, of looking. Simon doesn't have a plug for just one. No, unfortunately not. We did we did some work um last year looking at what the future learner experience would look like. So we took a, a set of personas across the company and we looked at you know what what would a future learning experience look like for those, and that's helping to then inform what that ecosystem looks like, okay. trying to be as futuristic as possible, you know, whether that's uh, you know augmented reality glasses to give you performance support when you're in a lab or whether that's you know, when you're on the go mode of you know. AI assistant that uh, you can access through whatever mobile device on you go. So we we sort of looked looked to the future, looked at the the trends, and then did focus groups with these sort of different persona types to be able to get to what that future looks like. Yeah. And then that's helping to inform. And ideally, you would get to that in the lowest number of uh, platforms as possible. So and, and then sort of knitting them together so they all talk to each other, and also looking beyond learning, because I think the, the direction is also, you can't look at learning as a silo. You know, what's the linkage into talent? What's the linkage into the uh, core HR systems? How does the data tie in with business data, HR data, et cetera? So it, it can't be an island either. It needs no. to be very well integrated into these other these other areas. Yeah. Nina, what were you going to add to it? I was just going to say, I know I brought up the topic of um, technology, but I think it's also very restrictive for us to think that um, the learning technology ecosystem is the place where learning happens exclusively. And I think it's a chance to actually talk about some of the other um, ways that learning is delivered. So in our research and development function, we have almost like an internal startup accelerator. Um, It's called Genesis Labs. And um, this last cohort, I think they had about 300 applications. Five of those were chosen, and these five teams have an 18-month sabbatical where they get to exclusively work on accelerating their ideas and bringing them to life. So it's this combination of them learning, really stretching themselves, having the resources to do it, and also driving our innovation. And um, I just would love to see more of that in companies. There's a big risk there because you're pulling these people out of their day jobs and um, putting them into some other piece of work. But when they come back, they are able to bring so much new perspective and talent into what they do and really um, accelerate the learning of the larger team and of the organization. So two two points to reinforce on that. And then actually one's actually a follow-up question to you on that topic is one, I think your point about us in L&D, and actually you both made this point, needing to think bigger than just L&D and thinking about how are we actually integrating into the whole talent ecosystem is critical, right? It's absolutely critical that we get out of our box and say, hey, we need to be thinking broader than just learning. But the Mm -hmm. other piece too is the technology piece of saying people aren't just learning in learning tech. And to some degree, kind of going in with that assumption will, will leave you hamstrung in terms of figuring out how you actually determine how to work. So then that led to the other point that you brought up that I think is an important one. You're talking about this collaboration and Dina asked this question. So it's a fair one to tie into this, that collaborative peer 
collaboration, connection, learning, whatever you want to call it, how are you really pushing and driving that? So it's not just a, I'm learning from learning content or I'm learning from what I'm doing, but actually I'm connecting and collaborating and learning from others. So I think that um, some great examples were happening already, even before we started our culture transformation in the various divisions and functions. Okay. So there's always been a lot of social learning and um, teaching back. I think it's really innate to our culture. What was missing was really the one Novartis view and the enterprise view. And last year we started with um, this campaign around curiosity called the Curiosity Chapter, which culminated in the Novartis Learning Month in September and had actually already run the year before. And there um, we started to bring people to the surface and it wasn't about leaders, it was really about surfacing influencers. So people who are knowledgeable in their topic and who want to teach back. And it's been so powerful because um, out of those 132 webinars that we did last year, we touched about um, 30,000 people in our 100,000 organization. Wow. And we also accumulated up to almost, I think, 96,000 um, learning hours. So it was um, it was a lot. <laughs> and it was a lot for the team to deliver that. But that kind of um, energy and everybody coming together with intention to learn from each other helps that social and peer learning in a way that um, I've tried other social and peer learning approaches. And yeah. I've never seen something get catalyzed the way that this got catalyzed. Well, but one of the things you talked about, and I think this is one of the things that we fall short when it comes to peer and social learning sometimes is we want it just to happen, right? We, we like turn it on and then, you know, people will just like learn from each other. And there's a lot of work that goes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to be driving it. You got to be pushing, putting gas in the tank. If you just throw it out there and hope that, you know, people are just going to take that on their own. One, they may not know what to do, right? I mean, they may not even know where to start. And two... Mm -hmm people are busy. So you've, you've got to kind of do that. And it sounds like it was work and you put a boatload of work into it, but it paid off. Yeah. You know, we had a um, network of a hundred volunteers last year and we're doing it again this year. And now okay. we already have 400 for this year. Okay. So I'm so excited to see what happens when we get to the end of September, but um, we couldn't have done it without the volunteers yeah. and they weren't learning professionals or comms professionals oh. or HR professionals. A lot of them were business professionals who just believe in learning and wanted to bring it into the organization and they volunteered. So they weren't voluntold. They were voluntold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that you did that, right? And and uh, a similar a similar approach I took in another organization. We we had change champions. It was similar. It was like culture mm -hmm. champions. And it sounds like that same approach was like, no, this isn't the L and D team telling you you need to do this or you need to go do this. We're finding people in the business who believe in what we're doing and can model. And, and lead this change for us, which also probably I have to imagine, uh, Nina, helped from a scalability standpoint so that you were able to tap yes. into those other resources versus having to have an army of your own going out and trying to do this. Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, maybe you want to pull up that slide that we looked at earlier yeah. with everything that happened. I was reflecting with the team recently that um, I had to go back because I didn't even know what was happening. Everything that we did last year, we tagged. Um, externally and internally with the tag. Oh, you just had it up there. Yep, I did. Um, there we go. The tag, oh, I am curious. Happen, you know. <laughs> and using this I am curious tag actually let us go back and actually see all that happened and uncover it because there was no way that I'm sitting in the middle, you could see everything. 
but um, we played, you know, games. We did activations where people in their local um, in their locations created curiosity walls, and people wrote on them what they were curious about. We had all these webinars. Our leaders created their playlists and talked about, and influencers as well, what was personal to them in their learning journey. And um, all of a sudden, all the learning became integrated. So I think there's really a secret there. Okay. So with that one, I'm curious, did did you have any naysayers, right? Because when I've gone through this before, it's it I, sounds fun. And I think for some of us, right, it's just natural. We're like, I get it. I love it. This is this is powerful. This is passionate. And then you you have your folks in the org that are like, eh, right? They're they're the naysayers. I'm I'm guessing you did. <laughs> An organization that size, you're gonna have that. How did you, did you give them time a day? Did you try and work with them? Did you just kind of say, there's going to be some people who aren't going to get on the bus and, and that's okay. We're going to focus on the positive. What's worked? Yeah. I mean, I think with any culture change, first of all, it's infectious, right? Yeah. Um, when you, you have your people at the leading edge and then you have your um, followers and then your naysayers come along. But um, one of the, we talked about this generate action event and one of the ideas around um, learning was having time to learn. And I think that we've done a lot of work there where we've looked at some of the um, time management tools that we have, like Microsoft's um, insights to help people carve out time to learn okay. and to make that really um, a practice in the organization where their leaders start to tell them this is important for you. And when it's a leader telling you, I care about you, I want you to develop and grow. Um, and then it helps the naysayers come along as well. Yeah. And I think some of um, what we've seen is that our engagement scores in the learning and growth category have um, improved. Simon, I don't know, do you want to share? Mm -hmm. um, exciting so we've, we've gone up uh, four points in our engagement around learning in the last year. So um, that's I guess, one of the positive indicators that at least it's, it's moving in the right direction. So, um, and we, we've now above benchmark, whereas a year ago we were, we were below benchmark. Um, so things like that you know, indicate that we are, we are moving in the right direction. But then as you drill down into it, you realize, you know, there's areas where we absolutely still have work to do, whether that's when you cut the data by country or certain areas of the business or whatever, you see you know, some that's very strong, some there's less strong, and, and that helps us to identify then, you know, what are, what are the challenges? What are the hurdles? You know, is it manager support? Is it time? Is it technology support? Um, and, and that gives us greater insights, I guess, that we can then adapt and, and you know, try and get a more um, equal offering for everybody as a result of that. So, okay. And what I really appreciate about our culture is that it's not, um, we're not dictating to people that they should be an inspired, curious and unbossed organization, but it's um, a discussion point, right? So yeah. teams are encouraged to speak up and talk about how their own experience fits into that cultural frame and we really believe that just having that discussion helps build the culture and bring it to life. It goes back to the journey piece too, right? I think that's a big part of it is when, when you do this culture work, when you build this stuff, inevitably you, you have your naysayers. I think one of the risks you can run into is you spend too much time trying to accommodate the naysayers instead of saying, hey, let's focus on the 80% who are carrying us forward. And what happens over time is that 20% starts to kind of opt out, right? They don't fit in anymore and they realize it and they self-select. I mean, sometimes yeah. you've got to push them, but 
it doesn't necessarily have to be that way if you give it the time to actually take hold. So I guess one of the questions that came up earlier that I will ask, because of this whole journey piece, as you looked on it, and I don't think we're necessarily talking about a specific model, but did you have, you know, as you looked at this journey, it clearly was a long-term play, not a short-term play. Did you have a bit of a maturity model that you position with the organization to say, Hey, this is this is a long play, but we think this is the stages we're going to be able to make along the way. Going back to that return state of saying, and this is how we'll know we're making movement towards that. Yeah. So we, if we go back to 2017, 18, that was when we did um, the work around our sort of future learning strategy um, and set out, did a lot more on where we are and, and where we want to be. And as part of that, we did look against various uh, industry models. Um, Josh, Josh Burson has one where he looks at various stages of maturity and we sort of map this is where we are today and you know this is this is where we want to be um, so it was definitely helpful to refer to those to understand um, where we were um, and to help to paint a picture I guess of what good looked like uh, now we've sort of set ourselves that north star of uh, wanting to offer the the best opportunities to learn and develop um, for our associates and so that's the sort of guiding principle then of you know our, is what we're doing going to help us to offer our associates those those great opportunities um, and how can we improve upon that journey as well as that sort of attraction retention and supporting the, the key business uh, strategy and capabilities okay. that we need so okay and have you has it been again it's one of those things you get this you get this thing started it sounds like you've made some good progress along the way and you have some decent metrics to go back to what's the business response been so far has it been you know well received in terms of hey we we are making good progress have you had to kind of reset expectations because i think that that can continue to be a a little bit of a game of chess sometimes yeah. with organizations of okay we're we're doing this that's good. Yeah. How's it progressing? Yeah, I mean, the, the joy, I mean, historically, we've not had data. Um, and yeah. over the last year, we've we've got a, now a, a people analytics team, and they've been fantastic in helping us to get data. Um, we're cleaning up a lot of the metadata in our systems in order to get better data. So now a lot of it is you know, look, looking at what the data is telling us and then being able to say, you know, is, is this a good thing or a bad thing, understanding the detail of it, and then course correcting as a result of it. So I think in the past, it would have been much more an absolute number you needed to work for. Now we're looking at numbers and, and actually understanding what's really going on here. So, okay, we see, a, we see a positive increase in learning hours, we see a positive increase in uh, engagement around learning, but let's you know start to now cut and slice that. And you know, overall, at a headline level, yep, we can take uh, we can give ourselves a pat on the back and take that. But actually, if we dive into it, there's populations maybe here that we're not serving well. And so let's let's look at how do we how do we address that. Um, so I think having that depth of data makes you look almost at performance in a in a different way. I would say to really understand what's going on. To me, that's one of the most exciting parts about where tech is going with things. It's less about the fancy bells and whistles that we can do with different ways of delivering content, but it's the ability to actually see into our yep. organizations in terms of what's going on from a human behavior standpoint, which leads me to this next question on, on for both of you is, so you're looking at this, you have the ability to drill down, which I think in many organizations, they're still struggling with that, right? We're, we're going off gut feels or off what people think versus true data points. It's a maturity state, right? Hopefully we're all working towards that. As you dive into that, how have you walked that balancing act of, okay, 
you need to pivot based on where gaps or where there's additional needs in different things. While at the same time, you can't pivot your whole strategy because X region or X business function is doing that. How have you walked that line to allow for the nuance and the agility to move between them? I think it's, it's a balance, I guess. So our, our strategy around learning has not changed um, since we set it. Um, but in fact, when we set it, one of the, you know we had numerical targets in there we had exactly what's going to be delivered when but we also actually had a slide in there that said one of the things that uh, we can be sure of is, is all of these things are almost certainly going to be wrong um that you know saying in 3 years time you know we're going to be on this number in this piece it's like we can't we we cannot predict all of the things you know we can't predict the current situation in there so it's like you know, this is the direction we know at the end of it we have this ambition of offering you know the best learning and development of making sure the business has the capabilities to deliver the strategy etc as we go along though we're going to be dialing some stuff up we're going to be dialing some stuff down some of the ideas we had actually will fail some of the systems we thought would be great won't be uh, there'll be new technology that will come along all of these things that that will change so big picture still remains the same the broad strategy around the culture and creating that environment of curiosity around the operating model around our technology ecosystem around having data all of that as part of the strategy stays the same but the detail in there and exactly what that looks like we need to be constantly sort of changing and being agile about as we understand what what works and what doesn't and I think that's where this kind of capability build of the learning organization around making data-driven decisions and not just learning. I think it's for all, um, all of us in the people and organization space. So being able to look at the data and then um, experiment to create and see what happens, creating safe to fail experiments and then watching your data show you something else or doing A-B testing really allows you to start to see how the small decisions that you make can impact greater returns and to find that golden mean. And um, it's not a one-time decision, it's a continuous conversation that you're having with your business about um, where things are going, where they're moving, and how to um, modulate your activity based on that. Yeah. Well, there's two things you hit on that I think are really important when people are trying to work towards this that, that came through in both your messaging is, first of all, one, we have a lot of opportunity to become much more comfortable with failure, right? We, we need to become, especially in our industry, more comfortable with trying things and recognizing when they fail and then letting them go and saying, let's take a learning from it and let's move on. Let's, let's kind of be comfortable with not all our eggs are going to hatch and, and be okay with that as part of our strategic you know, plan. But I think the other thing that you hit on is when you're building your strategy, and it sounds like this has been very effective for you at Novartis, is you've similar to the way you orchestrated what are the things that centrally enterprise needs to be owned versus functionally. The same thing is true with the vision and strategy of, all right, what are the vision components that are universal and will stand the test of time? Regardless of what happens, let's let's set our true north that we know is going to happen. The activities that get us there, yeah. we have to be flexible with, with shifting. And that actually leads me to the next question with, you know, to Mary Ann, she'd asked this earlier, so I'm bringing it back up because it's a good tie into what's going on now. Your vision hasn't changed. The strategy of where Novartis is going is the same today as it was at the end of last year, despite COVID. But I have to imagine the activities within the organization and the way you're executing against them 
have dramatically changed. So can you talk a little bit about some of the pivots you've had to make and say, well, we were planning on doing this, not going to happen anymore. And rather than kill ourselves <laughs> trying to fix it, let's dump it and let's move this way. Yeah. So let me start. And then Nina, uh, there's, there's a very nice piece I think you can talk to about this yeah. as well. So and our immediate reaction was, well, first of all, you know, make sure our people are safe um, and able to do things. And then after that, it was how can we, from a learning perspective, support through the current time? So we had 60,000 people go over the, over a single weekend to working virtually. So then it was, you know, what are the key things people need? So Microsoft Teams, we were looking to deploy fully later in the year that got deployed uh, incredibly fast so then um, how do we make sure people can use the tools that we have so um, we had LinkedIn learning so we were able to curate content from there get it out to people very quickly and the first week after people work remote number one program was around um, essentials of using Microsoft Teams yeah. ne next week after that uh, number one program was uh, time management working from home which included also sort of how to set up um, you know, your working situation at home and all of these pieces. As we then went a few weeks further on, um, it moved into resilience and uh, those types of things that were the hot topics. So we made sure that all of that content was available. And then I think to the change of the strategy, there's a really interesting one where, so the strategy was around um, offering the best opportunities to learn and develop. And um, we had the sort of agreement around going big on learning. Uh, but I think Nina's team had the, this fantastic idea of, well, with the current situation, can we take that from I am curious that was last year to we are curious this year and extend that out even beyond the organization? And maybe Nina, you will tell it much better than I as to what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So um, this year for the curiosity campaign, we definitely want to touch upon some of our hypotheses that um, community learning and learning together is um, the way that people learn best. So I already talked about people learning within their teams. But um, as the COVID situation started to really unfold and escalate, we said, you know, what can we do for families? Um, people are safe, but there's going to be um, a lot of time at home together. And so we thought that we could spin up a friends and family program for our people and really give them the opportunity to learn with their friends and family. And the first um, partner that we started to work on that with was Coursera yeah. and we that we brought to life in a week which was a miracle um, and um, I also have to say it's thanks to our um, CEO that everyone knew about it because he made a lovely video where he talked about it from his son's bedroom which was also his office and um, it just got so much traction for the program and it did so much also for our internal adoption of Coursera so Coursera is, you know, the online MOOC platform. It's really deep yep. um, learning. But we saw that people's activity in Coursera at Novartis actually increased by 50% in a two-week period from the time that we launched the Friends and Family program. Okay. Um, and what was also incredible is that just in the, I think it's been seven weeks now since we launched, we have close to 10,000 friends and family members registered for the program. And I think it's really meaningful to have an organization um, give these opportunities to your friends and family. And so just coming up um, in the next few days, or even today, we posted it, we're announcing an expansion of that program with um, other partners also helping us out. So we're working with um, Skillsoft and LearnLight for language learning and Henry Stewart Talks, which helps bring some of the great resources we have around science and um, scientific innovation into the homes of our friends and family. Okay. And I'm curious to see 
what happens. Well, you know, I've got, I have to say, huge credit to your team and honestly, the CEO for stepping in and doing that. I think especially right now, sometimes it's hard to make those those choices and invest not only in your employees, but in right their support system. And, you know, to, to make that strategic play to say, hey, if we empower our people, we help our people and we help their support system, they're actually coming to the table better than they were before. It's sometimes those long-term strategic people plays that a lot of times it's easy to lose sight of because you're just focused on what's going what's gonna to solve the problem yeah. right in front of me versus if we make the long play, it may be a little more painful on the short term, but, but in the end, we're going to win um, big time. So, so kudos to that. There are so many questions <laughs> that come in. We could probably spend we could probably spend the better part of the day doing this, um, and maybe we'll have to have you back to continue talking about this in in the future as we hear more about the journey. But I guess the last piece that I want to kind of hit on is you know so you're you've you've encapsulated this stuff. Is Simon? I know you're you're launching a new book now. Is that is part of that book and part of what you're doing to help kind of bring some of these learnings along the way, or, or what is what is that? Yeah. So about a year ago, a couple of people in the space of weeks said you should write a book about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, if a couple of people have said that, as I was having dinner with some friends who and they'd written a book, and I was asking about it, and we came up with a collaboration of the the three of us that we we would actually write a book around curiosity and we into that the, the Novartis story so after a year of uh, trying to squeeze in time to write it uh, we're launching it on the 1st of June it's called the curious advantage uh, and it looks at the value of curiosity as an individual for an organization and, and even more broadly for society it draws on the Novartis story but it also draws on history and cultural references and things uh, there's a model in there around curiosity that we've come up with and then it looks at how do you become a curious leader or a curious learner or create a culture Culture of curiosity. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's out for first of June. Um, CuriousAdvantage.com. There's there's more okay. details, and there's a podcast that goes with that as well, with some awesome. interesting people that we interviewed. Yeah, well, so for people who <laughs> want to hear more, kind of the behind it, and the thing I love about what you've done with the curiosity is when I think of what is a learning culture. To me, it's a culture that thrives on curiosity, critical thinking, and your continued growth and development, right? I mean, that's when you talk about the behaviors. Those are really the things we're driving towards. So I think it's great. It's been awesome to have you here. Hopefully everybody with the number of comments, I tried to get as many questions <laughs> into the conversation as I could, but um, thanks everybody for participating and being here. Simon, Nina, been awesome to have you on and answering all the questions and just shooting the breeze on what it actually means to bring this stuff to life. So thanks for your time. Uh, and again, I think we'll, we'll maybe have to have a follow-up on this to see where you are Absolutely. a year from now. Very happy. Thanks for having us. And thanks, thanks everyone for, for joining. Us. Bye, yeah. everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.